Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. As Ben said, I'm Brian. I'm the Issaquah Campus Pastor. Uh, if you're new to Timberlake, uh, you wouldn't know this, but God is doing some incredible things in our church. Uh, I have the privilege of being at Issaquah most weekends, but it's so fun to visit our campuses and see how God is expanding and helping people take their next right steps. And I'm so excited to be with you today. Uh, for some of you, you've probably heard me speak a few months ago here, but for many of you, you haven't. So I always like introducing my family. There's a lot of us and it's a little crazy. And so I thought I'd show you some pictures. Is that okay? So here's my three beautiful children. Okay, so my oldest is in the elf outfit. And yes, those pajamas were being worn November 1st. Okay, we celebrate Halloween. It's over. It's Christmas in our family. And so we are fanatics. Uh, my daughter, uh, Ruby, who you can't see because my youngest son's head is so big, uh, is Ruby. She's two, a little over two. And then River, and yes, they're all our names. My wife embraced my OCD, and they're all our names. And uh, River is one. Now he weighs, uh, he's a little bit of a heavyweight, 25 pounds, so we call him the big guy. And yes, I'll probably end up paying for counseling for him later, but that's okay. Uh, And they are so much fun and a lot of work, and so just let that sink in, parents. Three and a half, two, one. So just just let it just build the anxiety of your life. Hopefully it causes you to pray for me more, please. Uh, We got some more pictures. This is at Redmond Town Center. They are so much fun. And this is the centered version of my son, Riker, on the bottom left. He normally just strips down. And I have to tell him, hey, son, dad's a pastor. We're supposed to be respectful. Please don't be nude in public. Uh, So this is the centered one. They're a fun time. This is at Alki. And look, they always look that sweet. And if you're a parent with young kids, you know that's probably not true. Last picture. Such a good look. Look how fat that kid is. He is so much fun to hold and hug those cheeks. And then my son obviously is a preacher's kid. He always wants to encourage dad by wearing his amen shirt. And so we have a lot of fun as a family. Uh, We love the holidays. And that's why I love Timberlake Church. We're going to have some fun over the holidays. And so in light of my three kids being so close in age and the holidays starting, which sometimes is stressful, your organizations that you work for or lead, probably wrapping up the year, trying to close out some big projects and big sales, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about pressure thought it would be an interesting topic to dive into because we all have a level of pressure and Paul which is going to be our story is subject of the day out of 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 talks a little bit about his pressure I'm going to share some stories about my life and together we'll get some tools we'll put to work as we watch the Seahawks win today 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 says this we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, if you're new to church, new to the Bible, if you want to know the troubles that Paul is referring to, you can actually go to the book of Acts. It's a great book. I I suggest reading it. Acts 13, Acts 15, Acts 18. There's some uh, pretty amazing stories of what Paul survived and went through. So he says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and notice this, he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us as you help us with your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. If you're taking notes today inside of your program, there's an opportunity for you to write down some things. If you are, I want you to underline in your program notes, hope, or set our hope, and the word pressure. We're talking about dealing with pressure, these high pressure moments. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, which he planted. Now, he's the overseer at a distance because he was busy planting churches all over in different communities and cities, and and so he was kind of the overseer. And, And the thing about the church at Corinth is that they had some trouble. They had some problems. There were some divisions that were causing issues, thus the letter that Paul was writing to them. And you could say it this way, the church at Corinth was kind of a hot mess. Uh, Take Jerry Springer and put him on steroids, that was the church at Corinth. They had people sleeping with people they weren't married to that happened to be related to themselves. They had uh, people getting drunk during communion because they were having way too much fun remembering what the Lord has done. And there was racial issues and tensions that they were trying to figure out. And, And so there was all this division and Paul is writing this letter to them to help kind of navigate the process of how do we get to where God wants them to be. And he says these words, I was pressed beyond measure. Despairing life itself. That word despair is an interesting word and you could write it this way. It means that there is literally no exit strategy or no hope of rescue. And here's what I know to be true. We all have different pressures in life. Some of which are financial, some of which are family related, some of which are organization and work related, some of which are kids related. Okay, I'm right there. We all have pressures. And it's how we deal with those pressures that make a difference in the outcome. My wife and I uh, bought a home four years ago. We have known each other for 15 years, going on 11 years of being married. So it's been a, an awesome journey together. But we saved up for seven years, bought a home. And about six months into it, the city workers showed up and said, hey, by the way, we're going to be flushing the sewers today, doing some maintenance, shouldn't affect you, no problem. I'm like, great. I'm a first-time homeowner. I had no idea what they are talking about, but I figured they did. About 30 minutes to an hour later, I hear this sound that literally sounded like a river had been cut loose in my home. So I ran downstairs, and when you come down our stairs at our house, there's a bathroom, and I saw water shooting up, hitting our ceiling in my bathroom. And so I didn't know if that was normal. I figured it probably wasn't. So of course, I yelled to my wife, get down here, there's something wrong. She came down, my in-laws were in town, so we're all standing there at the bathroom watching this geyser hit the ceiling and burst, spraying on the walls, and I'm thinking, all I'm thinking is, I'm gonna have to pick that up. I'm gonna have to pick up the toilet water that's all over the ceiling. We just got this house, and then we heard another noise. We went into the kitchen, water's coming up out of our sink, and I said, this isn't normal. So I ran outside and said, hey, 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 I'm an educated guy, but city workers, There's water coming out of our toilet and hitting our ceiling. I don't think that's normal, is it? And they're like, uh, no. (laughs) So they shut everything down, and they said, let's check the pressure. And so the young guy who looked like the rookie of the crew, he went over to the gauges and said, yeah, yeah, I think we're using too much PSI. 
pounds per square inch. See, here's the thing. They tried to blame my builder. They're like, oh, this is a new home. They probably didn't install the pipes on the ground properly. I'm like, that's impossible. This is a new home, okay? It's probably your issue. And sure enough, they were using too much pressure for the pipes. And when you use too much pressure for the pipes, you get problems. And eventually, if it's too much pressure, it bursts the pipes, and whatever the pipes are connected to gets destroyed. And so I'm thinking, don't destroy my new home, please. We found out later that the two homes next to us, we have a five-home uh, complex there, and uh, the two homes next to us also had water coming out of their toilets and hitting the ceiling. So obviously, they didn't know what they were doing that day, and we spent a couple hours cleaning all of our toilet water off of our ceiling and walls and repainted. It was awesome. And here's the deal. Pressure can build. Pressure can silently cause us to go to a place where things begin to fall apart. Have you ever heard someone say, God won't give you more than you can handle? Okay, that's not actually a real scripture, but it's close. But the underlying thought behind it is actually true. I believe we've all been rated for a certain level of pressure. But then we get to a place where our rating, our capacity stops. And Paul was in this place. Paul had been beaten, he had been put in prison, he had been an outcast for preaching about the good news of Jesus, and he gets to this place where he said, I am pressed, it's too much, I can't carry the load any longer. God, if you don't show up, I'm not gonna make it. See, we understand a few things about pressure from his story, that pressure reveals the depth of our character. Pressure reveals the depth of our character or sometimes the lack thereof. I heard someone say one time, character is who you are when no one's around. And I'm like, that sounds good. It probably preaches good, but I like to think of character often comes out when everyone's around. My son and I, who's three, we, uh, we have a habit of having like a daddy date day, you know, trying to be a good dad. So we go to Starbucks and grab coffee together. And it's much more fun now than when he was six months because he just would stare and drool at me then. And now he actually talks. And so we get the iPad out. And don't judge me, the iPad has saved our, our family. And so we, we, uh, we watch Veggie Tales together. And he tells me all about his favorite characters. And, I, you know, I try to pay attention, stay engaged. And, and then we watch garbage truck videos on YouTube together. And who would have thought that someone had enough time in their schedule, I'm like, I want their schedule, where they film their garbage man picking up their garbage, and my son is obsessed. So we watch the garbage trucks, and he tells me about, Dad, that's the recycle, and that's the debris, and that's the hopper, and they put it in the hopper, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you are obsessed. And I said, son, you can be the garbage man as long as you own the company, okay? I'm okay with that. So we're having this moment where we're enjoying our, our time together and all of a sudden he looks up at me. Now it was Thanksgiving morning, okay, this, just this week. Place was packed, line out the door. He looks at me in distress. He says, Dad, my wee-wee hurts. I said, son, lower your voice. <laughs> Dad's em embarrassed, okay? And he just looked at me like, what do you want me to do about I'm three, I say what I, I, say what I feel. I'm like, okay, like, you'll be all right. Let's watch some more Veggie Tales. Dad's gonna read his paper. A few, few seconds later, Dad! Now, the context is he's 98% potty trained, okay? If you're a parent with young kids, you understand. Every once in a while in a public place, he doesn't wanna use the public restroom to go number two. And so his next phrase was, Dad, my wee-wee hurts. I need to go poop in a baby diaper. 
I said, bro, bro, your mom's not here with us. I have no idea what to do right now. That's what I said to him. He looked at me like, how does that help us? And so I was embarrassed, I was frustrated, I could feel my blood pressure going up, and so like any dad who doesn't know what he's doing, I whispered the biggest threat I could think of in his ear. Cute little ear. I said, son, if you don't be quiet and lower your voice, I'm gonna take the iPad away, no more veggie tails, and we will go directly home. No, dad, no! Okay, the whole store is watching this unfold before our eyes. The baristas are chuckling. There's these four ladies on the couch who are watching. I could feel their, feel their gaze, just enjoying the situation. And then he yells it again, Dad, I gotta go poop in the baby diaper. So I was just, I'm lost. And so I just, out of, I just kept reading my newspaper. And I was like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So then I said, okay, son, we're gonna go. And I could feel these ladies just staring at me. And honestly, it's not very godly, so don't judge me. But I looked at him and I said, can I help you? And it just came out. I wasn't even, like, I wasn't planning on saying that. I had thought it, but it just came out. Can I help you? And they're like, oh, your son is so cute. I'm like thinking, he's more cute when he goes to the bathroom like a normal person instead of the baby diaper. Actually, what I thought was, you know, we can meet in the parking lot if you want to talk about this, ladies, and we can, you know. I uh, know I, I didn't actually tell him that. We left. See, our life is like a sponge. And we can't control the squeeze of our life, the pressure, but we can control the substance of what our life is made of. And pressure reveals the depth, or in my case, on Thanksgiving, with the four ladies on the couch, the lack thereof. Pressure also reveals the source of our strength. Paul says, I was pressed, I was in despair, I was having a rough moment. But then he goes on to say, but God, who raises the dead, who will deliver us, I've set my hope on. So he's reminding himself of who his God is. That although I'm pressed to my limits, I've been raided and I'm there. God, I've set my hope on you. See, oftentimes when pressure comes, we have to decide, is it gonna be my ability or my strength to get me through it, or am I going to trust in God, who is my source of strength? Pressure reveals this. Pressure also reveals the measure of our resolve. The measure of our resolve. I like to think of it this way. I've picked up a new hobby, boxing, and it just sounds like a manly sport, so I'm like, let's do it. So I got a couple guys from my growth group, and we got boxing gear. We still haven't gone, but we got the gear, and, and uh, it's, a, it's one of those like, yeah, we're gonna look like the guy from Creed, and it's gonna be great, and our wives will think we're awesome. And if you're in a boxing match, and the guy wants to go 12 rounds, when I think of resolve, I think of the guy who's gonna go 15 rounds. And when pressure is on, and it starts to build, you have to decide, okay, what is my resolve? What is the, the, the heels in the ground? I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna keep moving forward. And here's what I know to be true. You can't do that without God's help. Because eventually you'll max out. And you'll be like Paul and go, I can't do it. I can't, I can't go any further. Sparing life itself. There's no exit strategy. There's no hope of rescue. I'm done. That's a scary place to be in. And maybe you're there today. Maybe financial pressures has just got you to that place. Maybe the pressure of family and kids or work, relational strains you're experiencing currently. See, here's the thing about pressure. It's silent and it can be deadly. It just builds and it builds. And if you're a doer like I am, you never stop 
or rarely stop to measure the level of your pressure. And so you get to a place where the pressure is so great, it's so high, it begins to wreck things. And the scary thing about pressure is that we don't really think it affects other people when we're in the midst of it, but the reality is the pressure that you're allowing yourself to carry is affecting the world in which you live, your family, your friends, your work environments. I know what it's like. About four years ago, I was sitting at home Saturday night getting ready to preach a few services on a Sunday, and I begin to have this pain in my chest. And I thought, oh, that's, that's weird, you know. It's not like, you know, acid reflux. It's like it hurts. And uh, uh, my body began to feel kind of funny. My legs were kind of tingly. And so I called my wife in. I said, babe, I think there's something wrong with me. And, and uh, she knows I tend to be an over-exaggerator. So she's like, you're probably going to be okay. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't feel good. I, I think we should go to urgent care. And she's like, really? I'm like, yes. So we drive to urgent care. And here's a trick. Okay, if you want to be seen really quickly and not wait four hours, here's what you say. Hey, I'm having shortness of breath, chest pain, and this side of my body hurts. Okay, before I knew it, in the back, sticky pads everywhere. No, no care for the hair. They just stuck them everywhere and said, you're going to take a urine test, your blood test, this test, this test. I'm like, do you need my social security, my bank account number as well? And they took everything. And the lady comes back, sweet doctor, probably early 60s, and she says, Mr. Reese, there's nothing wrong with you. And then I look over at my wife. She says, I told you so. <laughs> I said, no, no, that can't be possible. I feel like I'm dying. She goes, well, actually, there is something wrong with you. I'm like, liar. You just said there wasn't. Now you're saying there is. She goes, you're having what we call anxiety. And I'm like, I'm 32 years old. What do I have to be anxious about? She goes, well, the symptoms you're having is what we call stress-related symptoms. And I'm like, really? Yeah, it makes you feel like you're having a heart attack. Is that how you feel? I'm like, yes. She's like, yeah, that's called stress-related symptoms. And then she sat down on the bed. I'm like, okay, what's happening? What's going on? Am I really gonna die here with this stress-related symptoms? And, and she goes, how are you doing? I'm just having a weird moment. I'm like, I'm in the ER on Saturday. Why are you asking me how I'm doing? You know, you hooked all the stuff up to me. That's a dumb question. And she's like, no, no, I don't think you understood me. She said, how are you doing? What's happening in your world? And I sat there and just had this moment where I just looked and I said, I'm just gonna talk to this complete stranger about my life for a minute. And the floodgates opened up and I said, I just feel a lot of pressure in life. She's like, well, what's going on? And I said, well, my wife and I were two years into this church plant that we started with 14 people and no, no money. And, and on the outside, I mean, when people are meeting Jesus and getting water baptized and taking their next right step and we're self-sustaining as financially, which is amazing in the second year of a church plant. And, and I go, but I just feel this pressure to be successful. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt the pressure to be successful, to get that next promotion, to move up the ranks? She's like, what else is going on? And so I said, well, about eight, nine months ago, my dad got diagnosed with colon cancer. And uh, I said, you brought, I mean, did you know that my dad was my best man in my wedding? And of course she doesn't know. She's a stranger. I said, yeah, when I heard the news, it was, it was crushing to me. 
I said, my wife and I lost our first baby in the first year of this great work we were trying to do for God at 14 weeks, and we didn't know how to handle it. We thought, why would this happen? And uh, you know it's bad when the ER doc starts crying about your story. Because I'm like, I'm here with all the stuff hooked up. Where's my box of tissues? And I'm giving her the Kleenex because she's crying. It's bad. That's a bad, that's a bad deal. She looked at me and she goes, honestly, Brian, she goes, I'm surprised you're doing as good as you are. And I was like, is that supposed to make me feel better? I'm still in the ER. <laughs> she goes, you gotta do something different. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Pressure. I'd hit my, my load. I'd hit my, my rating. And life was about to burst. Everything looked good on the outside. Family looked good. Church was growing. Seemed happy, was taking vacations. Golf game was okay. But the pressure had not been measured. And it was building silently, getting more and more and more till I hit my breaking point. Paul was in this place. I was pressed beyond measure. I was despairing life itself. And he gives us a few examples that I want to give you today that I applied to my life, that if you're in a place where you're feeling that pressure, if you take these principles, put them to work, I believe that God will help you relieve that pressure so that you can do everything that he wants you to do. And here's the first one. You've got to create a realistic plan. And not just a plan, but plan for relief. It says this, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Verses 15 and 16 of the Second Corinthians passage. See, Paul was, had a plan and he was letting the church at Corinth know, hey, I want to come visit you, but I'm going to go through Macedonia first and hang out there and then eventually, that's, and then his plan changed because he realized that if I go in the state that I am, it will be worse for you. The scriptures actually record, he says this, you won't even want to be around me, I feel so bad. Have you ever been that so pressured, it's like everyone around you does not want to be around you? And the reality is you usually don't know, but, but oftentimes people feel it, the pressure you're carrying. Realistic plan, you know what I did? I just put everything on the chopping block except for what I could do, which was only two things. You can only be good at so many things. One, Love God and grow my relationship with him. Two, love my wife and lead our family well. Everything else was on the chopping block. Responsibilities and pressures and things, I just passed them off. And for some of you today, the greatest decision you could make to help relieve some of this pressure is, what's the one thing I need to stop doing? Just one, not five, just one. What's the one thing that if you stop today, your pressure that you feel would begin to decrease. Number two, we have to share the load with a select few. Share the load with a select few. Scriptures remind us, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. See, here's the deal. People were frustrated with Paul because he said, I'm coming, and then he changed his plan. 
I'm coming, but I'm changing my plan. And they were frustrated. They were so frustrated that these false teachers began to cause division amongst the church that he planted, that he was overseeing. They were saying, Paul, you can't be a true apostle, which is someone who experienced firsthand the life and ministry of Jesus. They're saying, you can't be legit because of all this stuff you're dealing with, all this suffering and persecution. And Paul says, no, no, it's just the opposite. And I'm doing ministry with these trusted people Silas and Timothy. Here's the deal about those two incredible men that were in Paul's life. They were trusted partners in ministry, but they were also trusted friends in life. I have a guy's growth group on Friday mornings, and it's been phenomenal, and we went through one of my favorite authors, Dr. Henry Cloud, his latest book called The Power of the Other. And uh, the gist of the book is that there's these relationships, and they're all, there's four corners, and the fourth corner is the one you want. It's the authentic, the real, the genuine, the no fluff, there's fluff, there's no fabrication, it's just you. He describes it this way, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and in spite of all those things, they still love you. Can I tell you, those are rare, but they are necessary. When you're feeling the pressure of life, you have to be able to share that load with a select few. My wife and I have a couples group on Thursday. And uh, two weeks ago, we decided, hey, let's do a Thanksgiving meal. It'll be awesome. And then I showed up, and there's 22 people and 11 children. And I thought, what were you thinking? <laughs> we shared our meal, and it was, this, it was this amazing meal, and everyone cooked, and the guys just ate and enjoyed time, and the kids were crazy, and it was super fun. And then my favorite part was when we stopped at the end, and my wife and I prayed for every couple. Just thank God for them and prayed for them. And then I thought, oh yeah, this was a great group tonight. And then everyone was like, no, no, no. We want to pray for you and your children. I'm like, come on, bring it. Three, two, and one, we need all the prayer we can get. So they prayed for us. And I thought to myself, I'm so thankful for a group, group of people that know the good, the bad, and the ugly and love us in spite of all of that. If you don't have that, my prayer is that, and it's not even group season, okay? So this isn't trying to maneuver you into a group right now. There's no groups happening except for those who are continuing. But in January, when groups kick back in, get into a group. Some of my greatest friends have not come from Sunday morning gatherings. They've come from midweek groups where they know us. It's one thing to say, I'll pray for you. It's another thing to have someone show up at 3 a.m. when all hell's breaking loose and you need some help. Number three, this is my tough one that I struggled with, developing a strong no. Developing a strong no. Now some of you are like, I can say no to everyone. Well, I had a trouble with it. And so I said yes to a lot of things, too many things. And this idea of developing a strong no is actually oftentimes saying no, not to people, but to yourself. Because although you think you're a superhero like I did, you are not, you are human. And in our humanness and our frailty, Oftentimes we overcommit and then the pressure silently builds and we get to a place where we're pressed beyond measure. I have a friend that we, uh, he attends the Issaquah campus and he's great and he works at a big tech company in the area, you can guess which one, and, and uh, he's been very uh, successful and he leads a great team and uh, we're having coffee, we're talking about this idea of developing a strong no and, and uh, he says, hey, I've been working on it. I said, talk, talk to me, tell me what you're doing and he said, I, I, I have these two questions I asked myself, and they were so good, I wanted to share them with the church today, and I said, okay, what are the questions? And he said, number one, I, I asked the question, who is the person I want to become? I go, that's a great question. I said, what's the, what's the second question? And he said, well, 
I ask myself, how am I going to become that person? I go, so, okay, so you ask yourself, yourself these questions at work. Yeah, I set an alarm on my phone. I go, oh, that's awesome. How, how, like once a day, every two hours. <laughs> Mike, you and I, we're kindred spirits, OCD together, yes. Every two hours? He's like, yes, every two hours. And says, so, so how's it going? And he's like, well, this week I had a big project. And he's like, you know, we have more work than I have hours available. That's just our company. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, and he said, but the alarm went off at 4.30. I had a project I was working on. And it said, hey, who do you want to become? How are you going to become that person? And he goes, I thought to myself, I told my family, my kids, I would be home for dinner tonight. And I go, so what'd you do? He's like, I said no. I said, no to, no to your kids? <laughs> He's like, no. I said no to work, and I went home because I'm trying to be a better father. And I looked at him and said, dude, you are getting it. This is it. Developing a strong no allows you space and margin so that the pressure that you carry does not exceed your rating. Developing a strong no is a critical part of our growth as followers of Jesus. Number four, give Jesus my full trust. Give Jesus my full trust. You know, when I was dealing with my stuff. It's always easier on the other side to look back and go, oh man, look at all these missteps. But I think what I realized in that moment, because here's the reality, the first time I shared those things wasn't with that doctor. I talked to people. But it was the first time I, I realized I had been carrying all of this myself. There was areas in my life where I didn't trust Jesus. I trusted my ability, my gifts, my talents, my hard work, the ambition so it led to pressure. When in reality, what I needed to do was give Jesus my full trust. And maybe you're here today. You got the pressure mounting. It's the holidays. You're trying to be the perfect mom. Trying to be the perfect dad. Have the perfect Christmas. Tried to have the perfect Thanksgiving and didn't go very well. Trying to figure out your financial commitments and what that looks like. Pressure. Your children, pressure. Maybe you've received a diagnosis in your body and you're feeling the pressure of that, wherever you're at, I believe that if we take a moment today in this right here in this space, we just say, Jesus, you have my full life. I give you my trust. There's this beautiful picture of Jesus in John chapter 10. It's one of the gospels. I love it. It's probably my favorite gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you haven't read it, you should. John chapter 10, Jesus kind of titles himself this and he says I am the good shepherd now I didn't study agriculture I didn't grow up on a farm but I've done a little bit of research and, and Jesus often referred to his followers as his sheep he says phrases like my sheep know my voice and they come to me and he talked about the good shepherd being one who would go after the sheep who are lost, broken, hurt and needed to be rescued and it's this picture of Jesus picking up the sheep, putting them on his shoulders and then taking them back to a place of safety. And today, maybe perhaps perchance, you're in that place. And if you would just allow Jesus to pick you up, to carry your pressure, your weight, the things that no one knows you're dealing with, but you can just feel them rising. As Paul says, I was pressed. I was in despair. I know what it's like. And can I encourage you as a pastor in this church? If God can rescue Paul, he can rescue you.
God can rescue me, he can rescue you. Oftentimes when we close out our service, we, we close in prayer, but if you would allow me the opportunity to actually not just pray, but to pray for you. I believe as I pray, as it's stirred with your faith, God will do for you what you could never do for yourself. And he will relieve the weight that you're carrying. Would you join me in a prayer? God, we thank you again for our time together. Thank you for these people who've carved out this space in order to hear from you. And now I pray, God, those of us who are dealing with enormous pressures, whether it's self-inflicted or just life in general, that God, in this moment, we would surrender our marriages, our finances, our kids, our work, our worries, our concerns. God, we would give them to you. And Jesus, you would pick us up because you are the good shepherd with good plans for our life. And so you would pick us up in our brokenness and take us to a place of safety, the ultimate rescue. And in this private moment, maybe to even close your eyes, if you're here today and you're saying, I just feel it. I feel the pressure. I don't know how to find relief. I'm gonna pray for you. And I believe as you agree with that prayer, and you can pray right where you're at, that God will do something in your heart and in your life. And this will be the beginning of your journey to relief. The prayer would go something like this, and you can pray it right where you're at. Jesus, today, I need your help. I'm pressed. Relieve it today. Help me to follow you closely. Today, Jesus, rescue my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make my life new. Today, Jesus, you have my full trust. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.